I partner with a lot of, you know, other companies and they do what they do very, very well. And I've had some of my team members say, well, Eric, we can do that better for cheaper, but it's not our main area of focus. And if, even if we were to save a few dollars here, it's going to take away from what we do really, really well. So a lot of it is one goes to Starbucks for coffee. One goes to Dairy Queen for ice cream. Hey, welcome to the Consultant of the Coach podcast. I'm here with my good buddy, Josh. Hey, everybody. And what are we talking about today, man? Yeah, so last in our series, I think, of six sort of big 2022 topics um, is this concept of co-optition and integration. Uh, for many of you out there who have competitors, uh, might be realizing in the new world of COVID and digital transformation, a lot of companies have to begin to think very differently about their business partners, even their business competitors, and ways you actually have to be uh, good friends with your competitors and or think differently about who your competitors are uh, depending on your business and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today yeah and you grabbed a good bible verse uh kind of talking about this uh matthew 25 14 to 30 let's hear it man yeah a bit of a long one but uh, a parable from jesus to to lay the groundwork for our conversation today matthew 25 14 through 30 i'll uh, read it and it will be a little lengthy just to tell you that now but uh for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property to one he gave five talents to another two to another one to each according to his ability then he went away he who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and, and hid his master's money. For now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he had received the five talents, came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered them, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and my coming home should have, uh, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has for ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. Or to everyone who has will be more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what I love about that? Huh. We're we're to take our talents and multiply them. Yeah, take our talents and multiply them. And what I think in terms of the context of today's topic, I think what we're challenging folks in, you know, is we're always looking to innovate in business. One of the latest trends we have to think differently about is what resources do we have in our competitors we actually need to exploit or partner with or think differently how to leverage, right? There, there is a, there oh, is a yeah. resource in our competitors and in our industries that for many organizations is, is ripe for opportunity. And so as we think about the... the global definition of talents um we want to encourage folks to think about that to include uh partners and even your competitors and how you can actually leverage them for your your, your mutual gain mm -hmm. right that's why it's co-opetition yeah. cooperation of some kind 
Yeah. Know, and I've seen this happen so many times over the last decade or two. I'm just flabbergasted. It's mm-hmm. like some of my competitors that thought I will always fight with them have turned into my biggest helpers in mm-hmm. business. Yeah. Tell me, tell, what's an example? Well, of that? I'll give you an example. There was a business um, that I competed with against for about 16 years and we just beat each other up in a good way. I got better. He got better. You name it. And he ended up, he was getting older and he sold his business, but the per- per- person he sold his business to only wanted the respiratory side of the business. And he called me up and he's like, Eric, I have the other half of my business. Do you want it? And he literally just gave me the other half of his business. Mm -hmm. And now granted, I didn't know about it. And it was one of those, um, we fought so well together. And part of it is we both obeyed the rules very, very, we were fair competitors. Mm -hmm. I would call him and say, hey, you know, I'm getting a lot of referrals. Is there something wrong with your business? And I let him know areas that he could improve on. And he did that to me likewise. So we were very good competitors. And at the end of the day, he's like, I'm going to give you this portion of our business. Well, it sounds like you also respected each other well. Oh, absolutely. Right. So which I think Mm -hmm. is a key component here. We're not, we're talking, we're not talking about necessarily cooperating with someone who was your bitter rival, or maybe Mm -hmm. there wasn't complete ethical, um, practices on one side or the other. So I think there's, that's a different topic. Absolutely. And I, and I think back to, let's go back to elementary school. There's nothing better than on the recess going out and playing hoops and you want to kill each other. But at the end of the recess, Hey, Hey, do you want to drink of my Capri Sun? You know, (laughs) and that's kind of, I think that's a good example of what a competitor is. Yeah, no, I think there's also, um, you know, I think even for larger corporations, you're, you're finding common ground in also in the, you know, I've worked with large, um, boards of kind of large institutional groups looking for common ground around things like the public good. Absolutely. So healthcare is a big example mm-hmm. of that. Like, and, and obviously COVID, we're coming out of that. You know, healthcare organizations are, are in many ways, whether it's health plans or biotech or care delivery or physicians, you know, bitter rivals when it comes to trying to get sort of the limited share of patients or referrals or whatever that is. But at the same time, they have a responsibility as an industry to a larger sense of the public good, whether it's partnering around COVID response, you know, properly allocating beds for treatment, properly um, getting folks in for the right types of screening, probably trying to, you know, so it just depends on what the specific public goods are. But, you know, I work for a, a medical district that, that put a lot of work into the shared services of the physical space that they all sort of were in together. And they weren't direct competitors, but the exact, but they were very similar services. And so we built a, like a 50 year transportation concept for the re, for the kind of district area. We worked on security issues. We worked on parking issues. We worked on um, land use and zoning issues. We worked on a um, um, number of other things with the city and the county and forged these sort of very complex partnerships that, that were pretty productive in terms of their ability to solve common issues. So across. L- let me ask you a question then, because mm-hmm. sometimes when you say partnerships, I tend to learn more hearing about partnerships gone bad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give me an example of a partnership gone bad that will illustrate hey, this is what it really should have looked like. 
Well, I don't know about his part. I mean, there's plenty of partnerships that have gone bad. I think I think I can even describe better what a good partnership should look like. Okay. Right. So I think I mean a good partnership is based on um, a shared interest and in solving of a shared problem. So it's really not very different than maybe an entrepreneur trying to solve a problem in the business world, but except for the fact that they might have a shared problem with a, another organization. Now, what I can tell you is that medical district concept. Earlier on, they actually attempted to figure out a merger between them, and that failed. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a partnership gone bad. Well, why did it fail? Or and it failed, yeah, in this case it failed because it was attempting to try to merge what was a nonprofit institution with a county-owned institution with a state-owned institution, and that was so messy it was never going to work, right? They mm-hmm. figured that out. So they realized the better option was to actually create a 501c3 subsidiary of the three, place board members from each of the C-suites onto the leadership of this group, which had nine individuals who I worked with regularly, kind of the CEO, COO types from these very large academic institutions. We'd get together every quarter, chartered a bunch of work groups of kind of VP level folks from each of the groups and focused on common issues that we could solve together. Right. And so it and was, you were able to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it takes some work and certainly some political savvy to, you know, I don't want to discount how hard it was. It wasn't easy work. But when you find common issues and you build it on common respect and you lay out the common principles with which sort of the framework you want to work within and also be honest about areas you don't. It's like, like, sorry, we're going to compete in that area. And we just need to sort of leave that out of these conversations so we're not, um, you know, harming each other's businesses, right? There, there's there's got to be an ability to have very real conversations. Um, otherwise, you can certainly create a lot of animosity intentionally or unintentionally. So as, as you're saying, we've got to be able to have real conversations. Now, both of us have, you know, talked with a lot of people. And some conversations turn into actual business opportunities and some amount to nothing. How do you know kind of where you're at in the process as you talk to people or, you know, when to do business together, when not to do business. How, how do we figure that out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, I've seen some different approaches to that work and not work. You know, I think um, I've seen some people, first of all, you have to maintain some level of humility, first of all, because I've seen some people, I mean, I've brought people, I can't tell you the opportunities I brought them on a platter for major tra- partnership and transformation of like business. And they're like, yeah, we're good. Thanks. Like we've got it figured out. I'm like, no, you don't. Are you yeah. crazy? Like they, they lacked, they lacked the, not the individual humility, mm-hmm. the institutional humility. So there's a difference. Absolutely. Right. And so there's certain um, business models that have lend themselves to greater degrees of I- insulation. Mm-hmm. And those are problematic because then you don't have the ability to innovatively figure out how to apply your model to new partnerships. Right. So there's, there's institutional humility, I think is the first step required. And then as you're sussing these things out, I think there has to be a recognition that you only apply the resources to the partnership that it has a percentage of succeeding, right? So first of all, you have to, how big is the opportunity, right? Addressable market is a term, right? If you're looking about new businesses. So is this a million-dollar addressable market, a $10 million addressable market, a billion-dollar addressable market? And then to the degree to which an addressable market you know, is this when it first starts out, let's be honest, it's like a 1% chance of happening. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to allocate more than the value of the market that you can actually reach, not the whole market, what you can actually reach times whatever the probability is you reach it. Right. So, and, and you have that gift. And because, you know, as we've hung out, you're like, hey, Eric, I did A, B, and C, and D happened. And mm-hmm. it's it's been, you know, of course, you have the ability to 
put all the pieces together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's where when you build these partnerships, then you got to get either yourself or hire people um, who can help you walk through those. And, and then what you do is you commit more resources over time as the probability increases, mm-hmm. right? So you throw a little bit at it to figure out what's the product market fit. You throw a little bit of that to figure out the go-to-market strategy. You throw a little bit at it to try to get that first customer. And as you build that traction, you can be like, oh, so now it's 1% to 5% to 10%. And as that happens, you can justify sp- spending basically the probability times the market size mm-hmm. on so, the opportunity. So can I share my perspective as a coach? Yeah, go for it. So my perspective as a coach is I understand all of all of the math involved. But what's hard as a coach and with the clients that I work with is a lot of times we either know the idea is going to work and we want to throw 100% of who we are as a person into the endeavor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then either, A, it doesn't pan out. Yep. And then is my, my self-worth in this amazing idea that just didn't work because of A, B, or C. Mm-hmm. Or it's... We know it's going to work, but it's the not yet. Mm-hmm. It might be mm-hmm. six months, 12 months, Market's 18. And, and as a coach, I almost need to pull them back and say, hey, this is going to work. It's going to pan out next year. How do we keep it? How do we keep the motivation working until then? So there's a, there's the consulting side of things, but there's also the coaching. Yeah, well, you hinted on two interesting issues, I'm sure, as a coach you deal with that I just heard there that you'll have to talk more about. One is um, assigning of one's self-worth. Mm-hmm. So you'll have to talk a little bit more about how you unpack that with your clients because I heard sounds like someone's assigning their self-worth to a particular deal, which means they got emotionally involved, which is what you cannot do in a partnership. You've got to stay very emotionally distant from a partnership, especially early. That's like going to see your dream house. You can get emotionally invested in your dream house, but if you apply that same emotional approach to a partnership, you're gonna you're gonna get yeah. screwed. Um, <laughs> you have to be more rational, right? Correct. So talk about. I'd love to hear you talk about how you help your clients maintain an emotional distance from their work appropriately. And then the second thing I would say is uh, helping. I would assume your clients balance two things that I that I heard actually from somebody else. I can't take credit for this. Is passion and patience. Yeah. So you need to have passion for the long haul, not just get distracted by the red car that goes by and be like the dog who goes chasing it. And then all of a sudden your team gets angry because you're chasing the red car today, the blue car tomorrow, the yellow car the next day, and you're driving your team crazy. So how do you help your clients with those things? So in terms of getting excited about something, or even let's say getting bummed out about a deal that Mm -hmm. doesn't go go through or blows up, this is the value of coaching. It's great on a one-on-one closed office or closed Zoom and you can just go off one way or another. Mm -hmm. You should not let the client or you should not let the potential other person see all of that. Because a lot of times what happens is we need to get really, really excited or bummed out. And then then it kind of settles down and then we see what the true Mm -hmm. result is. And so a lot of people say you can't go there. No, you can go there in the right place. Mm And that's the key is I do think, yes, let's do it. But this is the value of a, you know, go there with your coach or go there with a someone that you thoroughly trust. Don't do that with the person you're trying to close the deal with. Right. Sure. Yeah. Not with the person. No, of course, you got to keep that, you know, very uh, carefully guarded. Um, I think the other thing is what's hard for CEOs and entrepreneurs I work with is this straddling that one has to do to live in the possible and the reality of right now. Absolutely. Right, because you to, to, to come up with these new concepts, partnerships, innovative business models requires 
um, the ability to imagine and the ability to execute and executing requires a firm footing in the, the, the reality of today. Um, and so I think the one thing, you know, imagine with a coach or is a coach or doing this, but, um, is helping your people you're working with either better plant themselves in one or the other world, right? There's probably, they have a strength to one and, and doing both well is particularly challenging, especially if they're a CEO or entrepreneur type, they're probably going to be heavily focused on the imagining side mm-hmm. and really having a hard time keeping their feet planted in the um, reality. Mm-hmm. And I was consulting with someone this morning and I was like, okay, if everything went right, what would that look like? But then, and they got really, really excited. Mm-hmm. Now, if everything goes wrong, what would that look like? Oh, that's not nearly as much fun. <laughs> Whether it's death, drugs, or divorce, you know, what 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 would take this deal down? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, you know, even mismanagement, what would that look like? So a lot of times, not to be a, you know, my job is, okay, What what's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the example I gave, hey, guy just gave me half of his business. That literally is the best case scenario. That doesn't typically happen. No. I also have a lot of other deals that fell through or other deals, yeah, I paid market value for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, and I think and think that's, um, that's a imp- helpful perspective. Like, what are the bounds on this opportunity? Which can be tr- hard, to, hard in partnerships because it can be hard to imagine the worst case scenario. It's easy to imagine the best case scenario, but but in terms of like for an investor, you know, because I do a lot of investing too, it's, it's nice one of those things, at least the worst case is I just lose my money, right? Yeah, really. <laughs> right. You can First, make more of that back. Right, right, right. But, which I've, you know, I've had several of those opportunities. But I think um, that the downside when you're getting into business partnerships is, is potentially there are unforeseen consequences. So I think it's also treading lightly and 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 patiently, right? So there's an there's a passion and patience balance I find with my clients. I have to help them through because you can't push so hard that you run yourself into unintended consequences either. Because that's the hard part. Yeah, I think sometimes these far-reaching complications can get very expensive. Now, one of the things that I've used in figuring out whether I compete against someone mm. or work alongside of them is also what do they bring to the table mm-hmm. as well as their area of expertise. So I've, I've, I partner with a lot of, you know, other companies and they do what they do very, very well. Mm-hmm. And I've mm-hmm. had some of my team members say, well, Eric, we can do that better for cheaper, but it's not our main area of focus. Mm-hmm. And if, even if we were to save a few dollars here, it's going to take away from what we do really, really well. Yeah. So a lot of it is one goes to Starbucks for coffee. One goes to Dairy Queen for ice cream. You don't, you know, you might pick up a breakfast sandwich or a burger at those two places, but what is it that you do really, really well? And that's helped me figure out, okay, who do I lean on for mm-hmm. help versus mm-hmm. Um, what is my main area of focus? Yeah. Well, and I think the reason that's so particularly um, insightful for today is that it requires, I think, a very flexible model for evaluating what that is. Yes. Because um, in many business models, the market is shifting at such a speed that just because you land on that today doesn't mean that's the same answer in 12 months or Mm -hmm. even three months. Right, I start, just started a product market fit exercise, that's, I won't get into who the client is, but they do some work related to COVID. And um, obviously, the, the COVID dynamic is shifting so quickly, uh, especially in terms of this business model. We're trying to suss out not only what the heck they should do, but how do we make sure that that's not outdated as soon as we write it down? Yeah, because we it, record, we're recording this so podcast fast. in February of 2022. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it's going to 
be released in March. Yeah. And then someone, then you're like, okay, what's going to happen at the beginning of 2023? Yeah. No, no. So you have to be constantly evaluating what your capabilities are, what your expertise is, what your market is, what your product market fit is, what you have opportunities to do. And then just, I think you hold these things open-handedly because you get too stuck in them and therefore you can't adapt to the new market that's constantly changing. I mean, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I've worked with who, who failed, not to your point, not just because they couldn't get a product off the ground that maybe wasn't time yet, like another 12 to 18 to 24 months behind that or early, they might've been actually too late. Some yeah. people are too, cause they just move too slow or they can't adapt to the new dynamics, mm-hmm. right? They sort of fail. Um, so getting the timing rights key. Yeah. And as part of that, I don't want to say, you know, one of the things that we will do worst case scenarios, but at least if you're aware that that's there and let's say you miss it, Hmm. there's been a lot of opportunities I just flat out missed, but I've known it was a possibility. So instead of throwing me into the dumps for six months, oh, if only this, if only this, yeah, spend a few days. Let's get on to the next thing. Yeah. Because that six months that one person might spend stewing over is wasted Mm-hmm. time that we can use for the very next yeah. opportunity. Well, one thing I, I like about you and what you're alluding to with your coaching, and I think you do this as a good friend too, is you help to celebrate and mourn with, with others, which I appreciate. And I think that's something for all our listeners to think about is, is when something doesn't go how you want it and it's frustrating, don't just ignore those feelings, oh, no. you know, mm-hmm. but if you're frustrated or angry, get it out with somebody you trust Mourn the loss, mourn the missed opportunity for a couple of days, whatever that looks like in a healthy way. Uh, (laughs) um, I'll leave that to people's imaginations, but, um, but then, you know, get, get over it. Don't ignore it. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, when something's exciting, you know, um, blessed is he who knows the feast will shout, it says in Psalms. So, (laughs) so celebrate and have fun with that, you know? And, um, but then as you see, like, and I like professional sports a lot, um, they say, you know, you celebrate tonight and get back to work tomorrow. Absolutely. So, you know, celebrate, get back to the film session. <laughs> exactly. So what do we got next? Next, you know what we have next week is um, we are going to get into, you know, we're going to start with, I was, we were going to do team building. But we're going to start with team building gone bad. Team building gone bad. There you go. And, you know, it's one of those things. We can talk about what good team building looks like, but let's... At least, I, I, I'm sure you're perfect. I have some bad team building stories where I tried to build the team and it just did not work out I've well. seen some good ones. So let's laugh a little next week about um, team gone bad because I think we've all seen plenty of that. Absolutely. So we'll look forward to laughing about some of those and then setting the stage for maybe a series on team building, I think, coming yeah, after that. Right? Absolutely. Because hey, if you have a great team, you're going to win. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. It makes all the difference. Well, good. All right. Well, hey, until next week, thank you for listening to The Consultant and the Coach. Uh, until then, also check out Josh's blog. On You know, you might have listened to, hey, what does co- cooperation or coopetition and integration look like? It's out there. Um, consultantwithcoach.com. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye.